like when it's supposed to be in October. Uh, I was uh, up in Allagash, Maine on Friday. It was 70 degrees, and then yesterday it was I was wearing a sweatshirt in the yard. <laughs> it, was, it was a fast change. Uh, but here we are. Uh, it's what we should expect in late October. It's not cold at all. I mean, last year, didn't it snow on, our, on Halloween? Right? You know. Uh, but we're in 1 John this morning, 1 John chapter 2. Uh, right in the middle of 1 John chapter 2. We've been picking our way slow through this chapter, but there's a lot here. Uh, we're looking at verses 15 to 17 this morning, which are very famous verses. Uh, we're all familiar with the verses. Hopefully I can point out something that perhaps you hadn't thought of. Uh, so we're looking at this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 goes like this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's have a word of prayer as we get to looking at this. Lord, we thank you for this simple explanation. We can either love you or we can love the things in the world. It's really as simple as that. We ask that you'll make this clear to us where we need to take this simple passage. And that we can love you, trust you, follow you, and obey you more. Guide us through it in your name. Amen. So as we look at this, as I say, it's very simple, simple passage, very familiar passage. Uh, we've all read it before. If you've spent any time reading God's Word, you've come across this many times. So we're going to be brief here today. But he starts right off today. John starts right in with an encouragement. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And right off the bat, I've got to point out that command is in the present tense. Which means this is not a once and done thing. This is a constantly, constantly, we, we don't love the world. We don't love the things that are in the world. Don't worry about that. We need to be continually not loving the world. Now, I don't know if it occurred to you, but this command to not love is kind of in opposition of what we saw in verse 10, isn't it? Let's back up. He says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Well, are we supposed to love the world or not love the world? What are you telling me, John? Well, there's a couple of major differences here uh, in these two different kinds of love. Uh, first of all, in verse 10, we're talking about love for our fellow believer love for our fellow believer, uh, and it's aimed at their personal well-being. We talked about that at length a couple of weeks ago. But this love of the world is focused on pleasure 
and self-gratification, as we're going to see a little bit more. So you see what's going on? We are supposed to love each other, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be, we ought to be, looking for their betterment and their personal well-being. But we should not be loving the pleasure and self-gratification that we can get in this world. There's a lot of things that really please me in this world. There's a lot of pleasures in this world, aren't there? I mean, there's entertainment right now, like you wouldn't believe. There are fascinating things you can do. You can live a perfectly hedonistic life and live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. Uh, you know, it's pretty easy to do. That's not what we're supposed to do, though, is it? Now, a few weeks back, in verse 2, actually longer back than I would care to mention, uh, we looked at various meanings of the word world uh, in 1 John. And based on that discussion, I'm not going to go over it all again. You can listen to the recording again. It's, it's available. Uh, I can give you a copy of my notes if we had to. Uh, based on that discussion that we had and the context that we're looking at here today, I believe we're looking at world, the word world, meaning those worldly attitudes, those worldly attitudes which are opposed to God and opposed to his will. And we see that sort of concept mentioned. Let's go over to James, chapter 4. Oops, wrong direction. Turn left. James 4, verse 4, he talks about, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, harsh language right off, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? But James isn't the only one that, I mean, James is kind of notorious. He's uh, John's brother, by the way. Uh, they were kind of notorious for saying what they thought. Uh, I think John was the loving brother, and James was the little harsher one, but I don't know. We'll know when we meet him. Uh, let's see what Paul has to say. Paul wouldn't steer us wrong. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, particularly. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, when I look at that, I can take it in the inverse, and if I'm not renewing my mind, I am not proving what is good, I am not proving what's acceptable, and I am not proving that perfect will of God in my life. I'm instead conforming to the world, aren't I? Sometimes it helps to reverse these things and look at it, look at the command in the opposite direction. But that all aside, what's the difference between the world and the things that are in the world? I mean, John mentions them both, right? He says, love not the world, and don't love the things that are in the world either. So what's the distinction? What's the difference? No ideas? Well, as we just mentioned, you got an idea? Well, the heart is. Is it, you know, where your heart is going? 
Yeah, well, we're, we're headed in that direction. Yeah, I think you're a, you're a step ahead of me, actually. Uh, hang on to that idea, because that's exactly where we're going. As we just mentioned, the world is that ungodly mindset, that mindset that is anti-God. Bear that in mind when we get to next week when we're together and we're talking about antichrist, that antichrist mentality. See, these sections, I'm breaking it up into little bite-sized chunks as we go through this, but it's one, it's part of a greater context, and that's what we need to understand. That world, that ungodly mindset and attitude that we see all around us, don't we? I don't think anybody would argue that there is an ungodly mindset in the world around us, isn't there? That doesn't mean that there's not pleasures in this world. We just talked about there's all kinds of hedonistic pleasures I can enjoy. But it's an ungodly mindset. It's an ungodly attitude. While the things that are in the world are more of the individual components that make up that overarching mindset. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, we'll, we'll explain that in a little better detail when we get to verse 16. So just hang on to that idea. I don't want to steal my own thunder just yet. We'll get there. So before he goes into explaining what he means by the things that are in the world, we're, just, we're going to see in the next verse, John gives us the consequences of following the world's ways. He says, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. Now, when he says, if any man love the world, the implication here is that this is a continuous mindset. Again, we're in present tense here. We're talking present tense. If you love the world and you're continually loving the world, this, this is going to be the result. It's not like there can, can't be an incidental, everybody slips up. We, there's a difference between living in persistent sin and accidentally slipping up. Uh, we're going to see exactly what that means in more detail as we go on. But for now, let's just say that this... We, to be taken up with all that's in the world is to not be seeking the will of God. If you're too focused on my job, my activities, my this, my that, uh, what's going on in the internet today... If you're too caught up in that sort of thing, you're not going to be focused on the will of God. Now, the result of loving the world is that the love of the Father is not in you. Well, what does he mean by the love of the Father? It could mean, there's several different things that could mean, right? Uh, our love for God. My love for God, that's the love of the Father, right? I love God. Well, if I'm loving the world, then I don't have a love for God. Or it could be God's love for us. That's the love of the Father, too, right? It depends which direction it's coming. Uh, so what's John talking about? Or even the love that we've seen that comes from God. The love is of God. We're getting there. We're not there yet. We'll see that in chapter 4. So what, what love is John talking about here? Well, in the context of today's passage, I believe it refers to the believer's love for the Father. I think we can say that from... Uh, context. Because that would be the direct opposite of the believer's love for the world. Love not the world. And if you do love the world, then love of the Father isn't there. So I think it's our love toward God in the, based on the context. 
So take it as a whole. If the believer loves the world, they do not love the Father. And as James says, you're an enemy of God. We just read that in James chapter 4, verse 4. It kind of reminds me, I hope this reminds you, of what Jesus had to say himself. No man can serve two masters. You'll either love the one and despise the other, or the opposite. You're going to serve one or the other. There are two masters in this world, and you're going to serve one of them, whether you like it or not. Whether you realize it or not. I'm my own man. Well, if you're going through life, I'm my own man. You're actually serving the other master. Uh, whether you realize that or not. Let's go to uh, verse 16, where John explains this a little bit more. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. This is today's main point. This is the focus today, verse 16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. In an indirect way, this verse is showing us that love for the world is incompatible with love for God. They can't coexist. And here John gives a definition of what he means by the things that are in the world. I asked that question to you. What, what are the things in the world? Well, here he, he lays it right out. And he lays it out in three distinctly different basic elements. And basically, by doing these three elements that he points out, sum up everything in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, the word lust that's used here, found 38 times in the New Testament. And there are Three times where it's seen in a positive light. Did you know that lust is seen in a positive light in the New Testament? Uh, let's look them up, because that might have raised some eyebrows. I, I saw it raise some eyebrows. <laughs> lust is seen in a positive light three different times. Luke chapter 22. You probably don't realize it because you don't recognize the word. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 15. Jesus talking. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That is, I have lusted to share this Passover with you before I suffer, Jesus says. That's a good term. If Jesus is using it to describe his own emotions, that's a good time. Uh, Jesus was lusting to enjoy the Passover. Uh, Philippians 1, 23. This is Paul talking. He says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire, that's our word, a lust to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You know, with each passing day, I have that desire more and more. Amen. I, I'm ready. I'm ready. God, if you want to close the door on this world, that's fine with me. I know what Paul's talking about. I've got that same lust. Uh, how about 1 Thessalonians? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. This is uh, Paul talking again. He says, But we, brethren, 
being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. He lusted to see these people again. He loved them that much, these Thessalonian believers. Amen. Yes, sir. Can I use the same Greek word? Exactly. So if we saw this in Greek, we would see the same. Exactly. That's exactly. They've changed it here. That's that's the case I'm trying to make. Uh, those are the only three times. I only threw that out as it has really nothing to do with our uh, lesson here today, except to show it's a fervent desire. So we're talking about lust. We're talking about we can have a lust of the flesh, a fervent desire that the flesh may have. We can have a lust of the eyes, a fervent desire that really appeals to me. That really looks good. That's the concept I'm trying to drill. Every other time, other than those three, it has negative con uh, connotations, including today's passage. So let's explain it a little bit. The lust of the flesh might be those physical desires that we may have. We all have physical desires, right? Uh, I don't need to get into a lot of detail. John doesn't get into a lot of detail because it's different for each one of us. Your physical desires maybe and probably are different than my physical desires. Some people lust after alcohol. Some people lust after drugs. Some people lust after coffee. Some people lust after bacon. It doesn't make any difference. We all have physical lusts, right? Now, the lust of the eyes is another issue. That would be a desire for those things that you see. You look at it, and then they lead to covetousness. I like the look of that. I gotta have that. It's like a cat seeing a box. That's a box. It's square. I'm not square. I must get in that box. That's, <laughs> you know how they are. That's lust of the eyes. Sometimes this is closely tied to or leads to the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes often leads to the lust of the flesh. But it's different. Again, what you see and desire after is going to be different than what I see and desire after. But the idea is still the same. And then John, third one John mentions is the pride of life. And this is a little bit more complicated. The word life here comes from the Greek word bios. You know, we've all, we've all heard that. Uh, it means life easily. But it also means, and I think this is where we get into nuance, it means livelihood, it means living, property, possessions. We're going to see it used exactly that way. Let's, let's jump over. I'll steal my thunder. It'll be a little while before we get there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. John says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If you've got this world's good, you've got this world's bios, the possessions. You've got what you need to survive. And you see a brother who does not have what he needs to survive, and you don't help him. There's the problem. That's where we're going. I don't want to steal my own thunder and preach that right now. We'll get there. But it's talking clearly about property and possessions there. And in fact, that is the normal use for this term throughout the New Testament. When it says life, it's talking almost every single time about possessions. So it seems to me 
that it would be safe to assume that it refers to possessions here as well. John is talking about being puffed up with pride about your material possessions, that pride of life. Look at what I've got. Now, some people, you've heard it, have made the point that John here is trying to make a parallel with the temptations of the Garden of Eden, uh, craving for good food, she saw that it was good to eat, the desire of the eyes, that it was something that was forbidden, and the prideful desire to be like God. That parallel may be here. I'm not going to say it's not. I believe it is here. I don't think that's the case John is trying to make. John isn't saying it this way to make that case. You can make that case. That's not what John's doing. What John has been doing is describing the elements that make up the world. He, asked, he kind of proposed the question to us, if you love, the love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Well, what do you mean by those things, John? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all John's trying to make. And he says that everything in that world system is not of the Father, but is of the world. Every single thing. The things the world has to offer are not from God. And that in itself should be more than enough reason for a believer to not love the world, don't you think? But John gives us yet another reason in the next verse. And that's what we're going to close with, verse 17. He says, And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world passeth away and the lust thereof. And again, John's using the present tense here. The world passeth away. It is in the process of passing away. It's on its way out. It was on its way out in John's day. It's on its way out now. This passing away is an ongoing process. We've already seen similar language back in verse 8, where he says, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. The darkness is passing away. The true light of Jesus is already shining. That should give us a clue as to what John means here. Because of everything that has been set in motion by Jesus coming already, that's what we were talking about a little bit last week, the world system is passing away. Ever since Jesus came, the world has been slowly passing away. And its days are numbered. It's not going to go on, folks. That's what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says. Let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 7. We're almost done. I told you it was going to be brief today. Because I don't want to get into next week either. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31. It says, And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. It's in the middle of a, uh, a lengthy passage that he talks about that really doesn't have a lot of bearing on what we're talking about. Uh, but the point I want to make is the fashion of this world passes away. This is not going to continue on. The party's going to stop. 
a lot of the people in the world don't seem to realize that and then they keep continue going in their lives as if their tomorrow is just going to keep coming there is no future for a worldly minded person John's saying there's no future they're doomed don't be a worldly minded person John tells us that the world and all of its lusts whatever those lusts may be you know that you know that uh, sensation that you get, mouth-watering sensation when you've got a steak grilling on the grill? Do vegans have that sensation when they mow the lawn? Whoa. That's one of those lusts. I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of those things I wonder. John tells us that those lusts are all going to pass away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. If you've got your mindset on the world... It's going away. It's not going to be around. You're going to die. But if you're focused on the will of God, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We've already talked about what abide means. That's attached, linked to, coexisting with. Doesn't that sound a lot better? Coexisting with an eternal God. That sounds forever to me. The world will eventually pass away. But those believers that do the will of God will remain forever. Now, we saw when we went through the Gospel of John that Jesus spoke about doing the will of God over and over and over, right? We saw, he talking about himself. I must do the will of my Father. I must do the will of my Father. He said it in chapter 4, verse 34. Chapter 5, verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 38, 639, 640. He said it over and over and over. And each time, he was referring to the carrying out the mission that God had set for him. Well, here in 1 John, the meaning is slightly different. Just slightly different. Here, it means to do the opposite of what loving the world system means. To do the will of the Father, see, he's trying to put these things into opposition. To do the will of the Father means to avoid the lust of the flesh. To avoid the lust of the eyes. And to avoid that pride of life. One more verse I want to read. I'll steal my thunder a little bit more. Uh, chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. I'll explain it more when we get there, but do you see that doing the will of God means, first of all, you've got to believe on his Son. If you can't cross that bridge, you're not going anywhere else. You need to believe on his Son right off the bat. And immediately following that, we need to love our fellow believers. See, the tone hasn't changed at all in 1 John. The tone is exactly the same. It's going to be throughout the book. We're going to talk about other things, but it all circles back to love our fellow believers. Love our fellow believers. That's what we need to work on. Will you join me in that?
let's wrap it up right there. You mind if I close in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. The sun shining in the windows. It's a beautiful, beautiful morning. This world is passing away. And all the pleasures that are in it. But you don't pass away. You are the eternal God. Help us to do your will. To obey your command. To love our fellow believers. And so fulfill your law of Christ. Guide us through this day. It's in your name I pray. Amen.